from WNYC Studios. I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Thursday, September 14th. The immigration news just keeps on coming. Late yesterday, another federal judge declared President Obama's DACA program unconstitutional. DACA, as many of you know, but some of you don't, is an acronym for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. It's the policy under which people brought here undocumented as children who basically grew up as Americans, you know, for whom this is functionally their country of origin, wouldn't be deported. The latest ruling still protects those who already have DACA status, but prevents others from being given it. This seems headed to the Supreme Court. And new Census Bureau numbers show the number and percentage of immigrants in the U.S. has been recovering in the Biden years after being greatly reduced as a centerpiece policy of President Trump. The percentage of foreign-born people living in this country had dipped to around 12 percent under Trump. It's back up close to 14 percent now. The record percentage, by the way, was about 15 percent in the 1890 census, according to the Migration Policy Institute. Locally, the percentage of foreign-born people living in New York City is around 35 percent. The record was around 1910, when more than 40 percent were foreign-born in the city, according to stats published by Hofstra University. Then, of course, there's the asylum seeker influx and policy debate, making headlines every day in various ways. Governor Phil Murphy, for example, says New Jersey is a pro-immigrant state, but he's rejecting a federally proposed shelter at the Atlantic City Airport. If the governor were to say yes... That would help New York City with what Mayor Adams and public advocate Jamani Williams are calling a decompression strategy. Here's an exchange I had here with a public advocate about that on last Friday's show. We absolutely need the help, not just money. Money is a part of it. The Biden White House should be helping us with a decompression strategy so that everything is not coming to New York City that has a small landmass area. The governor just woke up and started providing some assistance. But she, too, is not helping with decompression strategy to help get some other municipalities across the state and is refusing to receive and accept that the right to shelter is a statewide right in the city and, and only uh, focus on the city. You use the phrase decompression strategy. By that, do you mean kind of a federally guided rational distribution of where asylum seekers who need government shelter are housed in their early days here so the burden doesn't fall so heavily on the few places like New York where they're choosing so disproportionately to go. You never want to tell anybody you have to live in this city, you can't live in that city. But is that what you're talking about under these relatively extreme circumstances? Absolutely. And you said it so much more eloquently than decompression strategy. But uh, yes, absolutely. This is all of this is a, a national problem, and it, and it needs a national response. Public advocate Jamani Williams here last week. With us now, Julia Preston, veteran immigration reporter, along with the New York Times, now with the Marshall Project. Her latest article is called Migrants Desperate for Jobs Trapped in Asylum Maze. Julia, we always learn things when you come on. Welcome back to WNYC. Thank you for having me back. Brian, we're here again talking about the mass of our immigration system. Absolutely. And of course, we'll get to your article. But let's talk about some of these news developments first. That clip of New York City public advocate Jamani Williams calling for federal 
decompression strategy or a federal decompression strategy, which, as we explained, involves the federal government placing new arrivals intentionally in different places to not overwhelm New York's capacity to deal with so many all at once. And I see the Biden administration has identified 11 shelters around the country. New Jersey's governor is rejecting one for the Atlantic City Airport. I don't know about the others. Are you familiar at all whether this is a way Biden can help New York significantly? Uh, I think this is pointing up a failure of our asylum system. Uh, It's a It could make a contrast with the refugee system, for example, which is a separate process for people who are coming to the United States and seeking protection. In that system, the federal government and the resettlement agencies are very active in deciding where a person seeking uh, protection will end up living. We don't have any of that in our asylum system, which is so broken and so the clamor that has been coming from Mayor Adams, from Governor Hochul, from the mayor of Chicago, from Boston, the governor of Massachusetts, is for the federal government to step in and do more to distribute uh, where asylum seekers will go as they leave the border. At the moment, there is no system in place like that. And Essentially, what's happened is that the busing last year by the governor of Texas uh, set up a migrant stream towards New York that the city of New York has not been able to stop. And for the moment, it doesn't seem like there's a federal plan to try and assist this um, uh, so-called decompression either, except for the uh, shelters that the federal government is offering. Why are the asylum system and the refugee system different in this respect? I think a lot of listeners probably don't even really know the difference between refugee status and asylum status. Maybe a quick refresher from you is warranted. But then why are they different in this respect? Because the refugee system was set up after World War II to uh, handle people who were still overseas and who needed protection from political and religious persecution. The asylum system is a is a stepchild of that system. It was never contemplated to handle the volume of people, the sheer numbers of people who are coming to the United States and asking for protection. So the asylum system just doesn't have any of the development uh, that the refugee system has in terms of resettlement, in terms of guiding resettlement and supporting resettlement. Do you know if President Biden has the power to say, okay, New York and maybe other cities, I get it. We're going to do what we do with refugees, with asylum seekers, starting tomorrow. Uh, I don't think he does. The, the, uh, uh, the, The refugee process and the asylum processes are largely uh, established in statute. I do think that there could be much more coordination between uh, the authorities at the border, the local authorities in places like New York, the cities, um, and uh, the federal government. The federal government can't make orders, but it could do a lot more to facilitate a good conversation 
Uh, the problem is that the, 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 the tension level is so high throughout the system that it seems unlikely that that coordination would take place. What I do think is possible is a, a friendlier conversation within states. I think there could be a more productive conversation between Mayor Adams and Governor Hochul. It seems like that's beginning to happen. But the governor could, I think, do more to have a, co a collaborative relationship with some of the, the uh, localities around the country that might be willing to take asylum seekers based on the fact that actually upstate New York for many years has been incredibly friendly to refugees. And the resettlement of refugees has been a highlight of Buffalo, there are cities, Ithaca, there are cities in upstate New York that have just been champions of resettling refugees. It's just the politics of this local situation and the, and the crisis level that has made that conversation tense. Since you have a national view on all this, are other cities going through what New York is going through with respect to an influx, uh, you know, percentage-wise similar in Philadelphia or Chicago? I hear cities like those named but I don't know if they have a right to shelter law like New York does or if that changes the flow. Uh, no city is dealing with the kind of numbers that New York is dealing with. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the governor of Massachusetts, uh, Maura Healy, declared a state of emergency based on, I think, less than 6,000 people who have Whoa, settled in Massachusetts. doesn't sound like an emergency to me. Well, it, but it... It, 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 if you're talking about providing local uh, housing and shelter, it felt like an emergency to her. I think she was trying to get out ahead of it. The city of Chicago, the mayor of Chicago has also said, we need federal help uh, with this problem. So there are cities, uh, I think uh, uh, the city of Washington, D.C. was experiencing, was the first city to experience uh, a, a, a focused and concentrated influx. So mayors have been dealing with this problem across the country. But nobody else has a right to shelter in the way that New York does. Is that your understanding? I'm not sure about that, Brian. But I but definitely the right to shelter law in New York City has been a fundamental reason why this influx has been different, for example, from the comparisons that people have been making to Ellis Island and previous, um, uh, you know, large movements of immigrants into the city. Uh, uh, those predated a situation where the city government is obligated to provide shelter uh, to people who don't have it. And my producer, Mary, informs me that Massachusetts does have a different version than New York of right to shelter. It's for homeless families, but not individuals, uh, I am told. So there is that similarity and that difference. Julia's new article on the Marshall Project site is called Migrants Desperate for Jobs Trapped in Asylum Maze. And it begins with a story of a man named Juan Carlos Bello, an immigrant from Venezuela, who gets expelled from a shelter in Brooklyn. You want to tell us a little bit about his story as a way into your article? I think his story is, uh, is representative of so many stories. Uh, so Juan Carlos 
Bello is from Venezuela. He had a thriving business in Venezuela before he was forced to flee for political reasons. He has been living in a shelter in New York. Uh, he's very grateful to the city for those for uh, th that assistance. But basically, Juan Carlos is a working man. He says himself, I'm used to living on what I produce. He wants to work. He wants to be able to send money back to his family. He's never intended to, in to depend on the city government uh, or to live in a shelter. Uh, he just wants to get to work so he can start uh, paying his own way. And uh, the reason he can't do that is because um, the asylum statute uh, mandates 180 days before a person can be eligible for work authorization. Um, and the, and, and, go ahead. You want uh, to finish the thought? Go ahead. Yeah. And uh, it's 180 days before you can be eligible for work authorization. Um, most of the migrants in New York are uh, waiting uh, a year before they're filing their asylum applications. So this 180-day count starts when you file your asylum application. And most migrants, because it's a, a very complex process, and if you get it wrong at the beginning, you really hurt your chances to succeed. M most migrants are waiting until uh, a one-year deadline that exists before when you have to file your asylum application. So in practice, most of the migrants who have come recently to New York City, because they believe that the asylum system is the only way that they can get work authorization, are waiting as long as 18 months before they can be legally authorized to work. Julia, here's a text from a listener who writes, please ask Julia to finish the story of Juan Carlos. Why did the shelter in Brooklyn expel him? Uh, he was expelled because he's a single male and uh, Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, is uh, attempting to cut down on the shelter population. And so uh, he was expelled to make room for migrant families uh, who have arrived more recently. And he is uh, doing what I think most migrants are doing, which is they have, you know, they have to live. They can't not work at all. And so odd jobs all around the city, delivery, restaurant work, you know, they're taking odd jobs yes. to off the books. Selling candy I mean, and flowers on the off ramps to the Deegan. I've seen them. I mean, this is the opposite of what the asylum system should be doing. It is creating a new undocumented workforce in the city of New York. It may be temporary, eventually many of these folks will uh, go through the process and get their work permits. But uh, for the time being, we just have all of a sudden a large new undocumented workforce in New York. But Brian, I did want to point out to you that, that the um, federal government has responded after months uh, of Mayor Adams increasingly uh, escalating um, Please, shall we say, <laughs> and complaints 
uh, the federal, the White House did respond, and they came up with a solution that has actually been there for quite a while now. Uh, but uh, on September 1st, they started to point this out to people in New York and around the country, which is that migrants who were allowed into the country on a temporary permission that is known as a parole are immediately eligible to apply for work authorization. And I see in your article that you wrote on September 1st, Department of Homeland Security officials began texting hundreds of thousands of migrants in New York and around the country, alerting them that they could pl apply right away for work permits under the programs you just described. Hundreds of thousands? I mean, there are only a little over 100,000 in New York in the last year and a half that everybody's talking about. So are almost all the migrants who've been in the news as a group eligible for these work permits? I don't think it would be almost all for the following reason. Um, for example, we have the case of Juan Carlos Bello. So Juan Carlos came in uh, a year ago on a parole for one year. And he was eligible all that time to apply immediately for work authorization, but he didn't know it because the administration was not advertising this reality. Uh, now his parole has expired and he's in an asylum process. So he will not be able to apply immediately for work authorization. And I think lots of the migrants who came last year might also be in a similar situation. But there may be people who had uh, were granted paroles for two years, for example, or uh, paroles that don't have a an end date. It was so chaotic at the border in 2022 that paroles were being issued kind of willy-nilly. And uh, that may benefit uh, some of the people who are in New York right now. But it could be thousands of people, which would obviously make a difference in the situation uh, in New York, where people, everyone agrees, the migrants agree, they don't want to be taking city services for the most part. They don't want to be living at city shelters. They want to work and support their families and support themselves and, be, and integrate into this wonderful city and wonderful nation that in the past has done such a spectacular job of integrating immigrants into, into our society. Uh, this news about DACA. DACA declared unconstitutional by another federal court. In fact, we have a snarky text from somebody who writes, I guess DACA now stands for declared against the Constitution again. Are you familiar with the constitutional arguments? I am familiar with the constitutional arguments, but basically uh, the this judge, Judge Hanen in the Southern District of Texas has ruled previously on DACA and found it to be procedurally invalid and um, a burden on the state of Texas and other states that were uh, arguing against DACA. And his ruling yesterday, he basically finds that the efforts that the Biden administration made to correct the DACA rule to 
accommodate his uh, objections failed and that the rule is currently the way the Biden administration has presented it and preserved it is identical to the uh, uh, rule that he struck down the last time. And so he struck it down again. But he has done this time the same thing he did uh, the last time he uh, was able to rule on DACA, which is he did not uh, force the program to close. He has left the program in place for the people who already have DACA protections. Uh, he, I think the judge is anticipating that this will go back to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, and from there, it will get to the Supreme Court. And so for the time being, the practical effect of this ruling is that the status quo continues. The status quo is very problematical, but people who have DACA will not lose their protections anytime soon. And the number I see is around 600,000 people who that applies to, people who came here as children or really brought here by their parents or other relatives, having no say in it as kids, basically grew up American and were declared immune, at least for now, from deportation by President Obama. But the constitutionality of a president doing that, uh, being challenged in court, as we've been hearing, we're going to leave it there with Julia Preston, who covers national immigration issues for the Marshall Project. Her new article is called Migrants Desperate for Jobs Trapped in Asylum Maze. Julia, thanks for all the information and depth of knowledge that you bring here. Thank you, Brian. Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.